The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Hey everyone, on today's show we break down the Giants win over the San Francisco 49ers on Monday Night Football, including how the pass protection improved and how that helped Eli Manning, and how the Giants can adjust some of their coverage issues on the defensive side of the ball. And for more on this game, please go to BigBlueView.com, check out all the content we have there. So let's get to the show. Hello, and welcome to the Big Blue Review. I am Dan Pizzuta, joined by Chris Vlum, and we are here to talk about a Giants win? Is that right? Yeah, they somehow they managed to get a win. They tried not to, but I guess one of the teams had to win eventually. The Giants had a 27-23 win over the San Francisco 49ers on Monday Night Football. It came down to the Giants' final drive, which was which was a, a game-winning drive by the Giants and Eli Manning. It was a weird drive. It was not a normal march down the field, getting chunks of yards at a time and punching it into the end zone. It was it was a strange final drive. It, it was more of a drunken stumble down the field. I'm going to read out what what happened on this drive. So it starts with yeah. a touchback, incomplete to Beckham, 31 yards to Ingram, uh, which was a really nice play. Ingram had a little hesitation and then slipped out to the outside, had a free sideline. Six yards to Ingram, a pass, negative three yards to Barkley. Awesome, so we're still doing that. That's cool. Two-minute warning, then there was a false start on Will Hernandez, then there was a defensive holding on Malcolm Smith on Barkley. That ended up being a automatic first down, which was going to be on a third and 12. Uh, that was a pass that was again going to be to Barkley uh, well behind the line of scrimmage. Uh, so the Giants got a bit of a gift there because they would not have picked up that first down if the pass was completed. And there wasn't a penalty. So then we go to the next first down. Uh, then there's a holding penalty on Jamon Brown. So that sets up a first and 20. Then there's an incomplete. Then they, we got a second and 20. There is defensive pass interference on a pass to Beckham. So that sets up a first down. Then another incompletion to Evan Ingram. Then a nice little angle route to Saquon Barkley. The 49ers had... 
it looked like they were trying to double cover Barkley, but both defenders were on the outside. So when Barkley cut in, he had free room to run down the middle of the field. And that was 23 yards. Then another pass to Engram for nine yards. Uh, and then the quick pass to Sterling Shepard for a three-yard touchdown. A lot of penalties, a lot of weird plays, but overall it ended up with the Giants going ahead and setting up what was eventually a, a game-winning drive. Yeah, uh, like I said, a drunken stumble of a drive, but it worked out. And they actually used some things that we have been... The table is broken from us banging it so hard. You know, like with the angle route to Barkley or actually getting Ingram down the field, he is so good at those kind of stick nod double moves where the defender almost expects him to run like a hook route or a curl a curl route or something like that, and then he turns it upfield and just uses that speed. And so nice to see. He should use it more, or rather it should be called for him more. And again, with Barkley, get him past the line of scrimmage, get him some open field, and let him do what he does. Good things happen. Yeah, so for Ingram, he had five targets for the game. Four of them were on that last drive. Yeah, I kind of, I joked on Twitter, uh, it's been just been a season-long con to not use Evan Ingram, so there's no tape of him when you need to throw to him downfield in a game-winning situation, uh, which uh, was a joke, but kind of also the truth, because <laughs> there really is <laughs> no tape this year of Evan Ingram running down the field, which they did. And then, yeah, Barkley. They started the drive throwing to him behind the line of scrimmage. They tried to run a short pass to him on that third down that there was the holding uh, where he would not have gotten the first down if there wasn't. But the the, the big play, 23 yards, came on a, a nice ankle route. So he had 23 yards there. He only had 33 yards receiving in the game. So they did not use him a lot. Uh, tried to use him on a wheel route earlier in the game. They actually ran a wheel route. Uh, but either it was supposed to be a back shoulder pass and Barkley didn't know that, or it was a terribly thrown ball by Eli because something did not look right there either way. Yeah. But or it could be they're just so not used to throwing that route, Eli wasn't quite sure where to put it. Just judging by how Eli threw the ball, he looked confident about where he was placing it. And he dropped it about where you would expect a back shoulder pass to land, right by the sideline where Barkley's back shoulder would have been. So I'm wondering if there wasn't a miscommunication there. One thing for Eli, he always looks confident when True. he's uh, about <laughs> to make a throw. The results of that throw vary wildly, but, say, uh, but I, I think say, there's, there's always look a like look of confidence before the throw. Let's say it, it didn't look like an underthrow. It didn't look like he was trying to get out, get it out in front of him, and just didn't have the oomph for it. You know, it didn't look like the deep pass to Odell, where you could tell he put everything he had on it, and fifty-five yards was about all he had. Yeah, there was that one deep pass to Beckham. He was wide open, and you could just see Beckham did a real good job 
spotting the ball, realized he was not going to be able to continue running. And he had to try to stop for it. And by the time the ball got there, there were two guys who were able to break it up. So yeah, that was definitely a problem that ended up not being a problem that flipped the game uh, because Beckham was able to score twice. Uh, and then they had that game-winning drive to to get them there. Um, So let's uh, talk about the offense a little bit. I think one of the takeaways a lot of people had was that the offensive line just blocked better. That was partly the case, especially early in the game. So per next-gen stats, Eli Manning had an average of 2.6 seconds to throw, which you know, is his actual league average. Um, so they weren't getting the ball out quicker, but the pockets were there. San Francisco just didn't have much of an actual pass rush. They, they just weren't getting to Eli uh, until later in the game. They did a little bit uh, where they, they finally did have a sack. But it's San Francisco's pass rush has just not been something that's been there a lot this season and and I think we saw that I think that made the job of the offensive line a little easier while they were going I mean San Francisco was 17th in defensive pressure rate coming into this game per football outsiders a lot of their talent comes from from the interior I mean DeForest Buckner has been really good this season uh, but on the edge they they don't really have that Um, I think one thing is I guess we can focus on maybe Jamon Brown, who was the new addition there on the inside. I think he was really good early. He uh, he fell he, off a bit towards the end of the yeah, game. Yeah, he he picked up a stunt early in the game on the first touchdown to Odell Beckham. It was a late stunt, and and he picked it up real well. There was a rusher coming into Eli, but uh, he adjusted and and got it and gave him time to throw. I'm not sure if any of the guards earlier in the season would have been able to pick up the stunt when they did. Nope, they wouldn't um, have. And so that probably would have been a quarterback hit or a sack. So that was nice. But yeah, later in the game, Brown started to fall off a little bit. There was there was the holding penalty on the last drive. He blew a block that gave up a sack in the second half. And that, that was the only sack San Francisco had. But that was that was a blown block from Brown. So so he was hit and miss. But on the offensive line this year, the hit and miss is probably a, probably a result you're going to take. Yeah, the fact that there were hits, that he had successful plays, that picking up that stunt that allowed the touchdown probably earned him a second contract here. So that was that was good to see. I think the fact that Eli had relatively reliable blocking up front in the middle particularly from the guard positions definitely helped him he's always been more confident more capable when he has a pocket he can step up into and there were plays where he actually stepped up and evaded pressure that was coming off of the edges particularly from uh chad wheeler's side and that was good to see yeah, there was there was a comfort. So while the time to throw wasn't much different than he's had, the the situations in which he had that time to throw, I th- I think were different. There wasn't going to be someone in his face constantly as he was getting the ball off, and that I think played a part. And I think that's that's part of what made him look better. Now with with this win and the game winning drive, I think we have some 
type of narrative that Eli Manning is back. I, I think he was fine in this game overall. Uh, he had the three touchdowns, which definitely help. One of them came from the 10. One came from the two, or sorry, the three. So, you know, it, it's not like they were getting big chunks of yards in the passing game. I mean, he averaged 6.1 yards per attempt. Obviously, the three touchdowns help. He had an 85.3 QBR which means uh, a quarterback basically who played like Eli, uh, you'd expect to win 85.3% of the time. I think the, the play calling and how the game played out in the first and second halves were completely changed because he like started the game 6 of 9 for 26 yards, which was 2.9 yards per attempt, but he had a touchdown, so he had a quarterback rating of 107.2. So... Uh, please don't tell me that quarterback rating is uh, is a relevant <laughs> stat uh, when you can throw for 2.9 yards per attempt and still have a quarterback rating of 107. But but that's that's what it was early. But late, I, th- I think they threw the ball downfield a little more. Uh, Eli ended up with uh, an average depth of target of 8.5 per next gen stats, which is fine. That's about average-ish of where we're looking at where where most quarterbacks. Uh, have been it's better than like the the six or so he usually has uh when the offense isn't going right so there yeah. were definitely some more downfield throws which which is good they didn't all connect uh but i think just getting the ball out there definitely helped yeah i that's what this offense is built to do when you've got three of your top four receiving targets have legitimate four four speed you gotta get them down the field and the change in game plan at halftime, which maybe the 49ers going on a seven, seven and a half minute drive that just chewed up clock and, and wound up putting them up two scores played a role in it. But the change in game plan from the first half to the second half was dramatic. The fact that Eli finished with an average depth of target of eight and a half yards and was only going about two and a half in the first half is honestly impressive. Just showed how much further down the field he was throwing the ball on his average pass in the second half. Yeah, it really looked like two completely different game plans. And the the passing improving in the second half is is definitely what helped the offense I mean, look like it did. I still don't think the offense looked particularly good, but I think we can agree it was the passing that got them there, and it was not the running game. I think we're going to... <sighs> okay, so we're we're going to have some narrative that comes out here. Someone is that the Giants are now 1-0 when Saquon Barkley carries the ball 20 times or more. So he got 20 carries, only 67 yards, uh, by expected points added, negative 3.82 uh, expected points added on those carries. He had six successful carries in the first half. He finished the game with six successful carries. So that's just a 30% success rate, which is not good. Or a 0% success rate in the second half. Yeah, yeah. 0% success rate in the second half uh, on on his carries. Uh, that's uh, it's not good the Giants man the Giants love running the ball on second and 10 after incompletions um and all that does is sets up third and long 
Um, yeah. And that's kind of what, what a lot of carries did uh, in the second half. Uh, so please, please don't make this argument. Please don't listen to anyone who made the argument that the balance between run pass, what helped the Giants, because uh, it was not. Uh, Barkley's running was, was not good in this game. No. I don't know how you can call a run game successful when it relies on the running back stringing together jump cuts and making two, three, four defenders miss in the backfield and then carrying a fifth for another extra three yards if he happens to get past the line of scrimmage. That's not a successful run. That's a hell of a lot of work by the running back and it's not sustainable, which is something we have seen time and time and time and time and time again this year. The Giants can't run block just at all. And any success they have is basically Saquon Barkley putting on his cape, but you can't expect him to do that 20 times when your passing game is actually working. In fact, you can't expect him to do that 20 times at all. You know, it, it's not sustainable. <laughs> no, you can you can try to give him the ball 20 times and hope maybe one or two of them are something that breaks. And that's... Which been, is their run scheme. Right, and that has been what the Giants have done so far this season. But then you get the low success rates that Barkley has, and then you have the, the games like this where uh, there was the 18-yard run, but that was... That was it, and San Francisco was able to hold Barkley for uh, for the rest of the game. So take out that 18-yard run, and then Barkley had 19 other carries for 49 yards. That I mean, that's that's not part of a successful offense. That's not how you run. So you can say, yeah, they they kept with the running game, and that's why the offense was bad. But I think if you say that, you're wrong i'm just gonna just gonna put it like that if you think that because barkley got 20 carries and because there was some commitment to the run game that really had no impact on how the offense went so what you're saying is they establishing the run didn't set them up for success on the deep passes later on uh no no it did not (laughs) no eventually we will kill that narrative yeah yeah, what happened on the deep passes later on is San Francisco is not very good in pass coverage when it comes to not being Richard Sherman. Yeah, and Richard Sherman is exactly the wrong kind of cornerback you want covering Odell Beckham. Yeah, that that wasn't bad. I, I think the Giants did a pretty good job of keeping Beckham away from Sherman on plays that mattered. Uh, because Sherman is still a guy who's going to play one side of the field. Uh, yes. He played to the right side of the offense, and the Giants were able to move Beckham around. All his big plays came on the left, and, and that was good. I think one thing I I didn't like, and if we go back to that that game-winning drive, the, the first play was a pass to Beckham, who was lined up on the right against Sherman. Uh, so that seemed weird to me to start that drive trying to target Richard Sherman, when the the alternative is to not do that and it's very easy to not do that you just line Beckham up on the other side of the formation yeah. and eventually of course it, it didn't really matter because they somehow got down the field but yeah I think the Giants did did a pretty good job of avoiding Sherman uh, they did a lot to to the left side Eli threw 
eight passes to to the right side of the field completed four for 66 yards but all three touchdowns uh, came to to the left side so Eli was four for four between 10 and 20 yards uh, on the left side for 71 yards so when when the Giants were having success it was going to the left and, and going away from Sherman so uh, I think that was that was a good part of the plan, and at least plays that mattered went to that left side. Yeah, d- definitely. I that's the downside of having a corner who is really good but only plays sides. It's too easy to avoid them. You need two good corners if you're going to do that. Right. Yeah, and that's something San Francisco doesn't really have at the moment. So if we want to talk about exploiting. Mm-hmm pieces of a defense that we have to talk about what San Francisco did, uh, which is something smart teams should do. So the first half game plan apparently for the 49ers was if they saw Landon Collins one-on-one against George Kittle was throw to George Kittle, which throwing to George Kittle is a good move regardless. Um, when he's definitely one-on-one coverage with Landon Collins, that's definitely something uh, an offense should want to exploit. And then when San Francisco shifted to the second half, the game plan was whoever Alec Ogletree is covering, throw to him. And that was something that worked out pretty well for San Francisco. Yeah, yeah. Kittle is a good tight end. He's going to give a lot of players difficulties in coverage. But also... Landon Collins is not great in man coverage, especially against more athletic players. And Kittle is an athletic tight end. He's maybe not quite as athletic as Evan Ingram, but he's also not far behind him either. I'm actually not sure if that's true. So if you go back to that draft class, which was like a historically athletic draft class per spark, which kind of is a, is a composite testing score that takes all the combined results and kind of puts them together. Kittle was the most athletic of that group. That included Ingram, that included O.J. Howard. Um, that was historically athletic group, and Kittle actually was the number one tight end in Spark. So he, he was just as athletic as, as the guys who got drafted way ahead of him in that class. He only went in the fifth round, which was kind of crazy. Well, I would say or he did rate higher with the spark. Engram, I believe, ranked slightly higher in just raw athleticism, just straight numbers. But he also weighs a little bit less than Kittle does. There's a difference of about nine pounds between them. So like, you know, 40-yard dash, Engram timed about a tenth of a second faster. He jumped about a, an inch higher. Kittle had a he had a 4.77 uh, short shuttle to... Ingram's 4.23, and he had a seven-second three-cone at Iowa's Pro Day, which is, Pro Day time should always be a little bit suspect, but at the Combine, Ingram had 6.92. So just in terms of raw, absolute ability to move, Ingram is able to do it a little bit better, but Kittle is almost as good, and he's a little bit bigger. So they're both really good athletes, and it's both a bad matchup for Landon Collins, who's pretty fast in a straight line, but that's about it. Yeah, so early in the broadcast, and I want to talk about the commentary as little as possible, but they, yeah, but, oh man, the Monday Night Booth is just, oh, 
It's terrible. Um, it, but so uh, early in the game, they, they said that the Giants uh, were trying to get a Collins on Kittle matchup, and that's something they liked. Um, it, uh, if that's true, that's terrible game planning by the Giants. It, um, it is. Landon Collins is not a guy you really want one-on-one against really anyone. anyone. Um, but especially a, a tight end like Kittle. And the Kittle is like is elite after the catch, too. Oh, definitely. Um, per per next-gen stats, he was third uh, among all receivers in yards after the catch above expectation. Um, and Marquise Goodwin was number two. Uh, Albert Wilson of Miami, who, who's out for the year, was number one. So if you're talking active players right now, uh, it was Goodwin and Kittle. So those guys get helped out by the scheme where they get openings, uh, and then they are crazy good uh, after the catch. Uh, so so lining Collins up against Kittle, uh, if that was something the Giants purposely did in the first half and they liked that matchup, they, woo, they need to go back to the drawing board there. And whatever information they looked at that made them think that would be a good matchup, they, they need to really reassess uh, whatever that was so it does not happen again. Yes. I don't think it would have taken much film study to see that Kittle was basically Mullins' number one receiver, even though he's a tight end. Uh, Why not double cover him? Basically constrict him the way other teams try to constrict Odell Beckham. Even though the rest of the Giants' secondary isn't particularly good, you should be able to at least try to make san francisco beat you with somebody other than kittle I mean, that's really just basic film study and game planning yeah and i mean it's it's yeah there should have been a little more to get onto kittle so he leads san francisco with 71 targets the next most targeted player is pierre garçon who's at 45 and he's only played and started eight games he hasn't even been like that big a part of the passing game but then it goes down to kendrick Bourne at 38 so when no matter who the quarterback is for san francisco uh kittle is the guy they throw at um and and that's just been the case all year but then later in the game matt Breida became the the go-to guy and that was making sure he got on Alec Ogletree, uh, and Ogletree just uh, could not cover uh, in this game. I don't think that's a surprise to us. We've talked about Alec Ogletree's liability in coverage before. This kind of, I guess, finally happened on on a national stage, so I guess more people were paying attention. More people now realize he he struggles in coverage, but San Francisco definitely game-planned to get one-on-one coverage with running backs and tight ends uh, against Ogletree, uh, and it really paid off. Yeah, Ogletree has not been the player people thought he might have been as you know an athletic linebacker, you know, all that. If... The Giants thought they were getting their money backer who could, you know, take away the middle of the field and cover tight ends and running backs. They did not get it in that trade. And honestly, it's kind of, it's definitely too bad that he is as bad in coverage as he is because it forces the team to take BJ Goodson off of the field and put a nickel linebacker in. Yeah, before Ray Ray Armstrong was injured and then released, I 
had kind of been thinking to myself quietly that I like the combination of Armstrong and Goodson better than uh, Ogletree and anyone else. What really is bad about the position Ogletree puts the Giants in uh, when he struggles as poorly as he did on Monday night, there there aren't many other options there. Uh, you can you can put Goodson in, which the Giants should probably do more of. But then you have you know Tay Davis, who uh, is an undrafted rookie who's going to play. I don't. You you probably don't want to put. I mean, Lorenzo Carter was was more of more of a, a straight up linebacker uh, who rushed the passer sometimes uh, at Georgia, but uh, he's working on being an edge rusher. I don't think you want to take those edge rush snaps away from Carter. So there's not really another option on the roster right now. So Ogletree, as much as he struggled against San Francisco, is uh, still one of five players who played. All 73 defensive snaps. The Giants can't even take him off the field. And he's the guy with with the headset. So he's the defensive play caller too when when he's out there. And it's just that that has not been good for the Giants. And he's he's struggled a bunch in coverage all season. I'm actually surprised this is the first time an opposing offense really made an effort to go at him. This was really the first time he was targeted on multiple plays. Uh, I'm surprised that's the first time that's happened because I, I would think offenses would, would want to try to go at him more often just because he, he does struggle one-on-one and, and that's been something that went back to the Rams. That was something we, we could have, we did know most of us who did watch him with the Rams did know that yeah, that was a problem for him. Yeah, that coverage is, or lack of coverage is a big reason why he's no longer the no longer on the Rams. You can't be paying a player as much as you pay Ogletree if you have to try to hide him. Yeah, but th- th- there is no hiding him. He's he's the middle linebacker who plays yeah. every snap. You you can't yeah. hide him. If defenses now are are going to to notice that more and take advantage of that more, that's really going to be a problem uh, because there's there's just no way around it. Maybe, it's a bad sign for other defenses if they don't notice that, or sorry, other offenses if they don't notice that and they don't go after him. Yeah, so may- maybe you can play B.J. Goodson a, a little more. That that wouldn't be bad. He had a, a good game, and I, I think you know, regardless of the two interceptions, I think the, the two interceptions he had, he was in the right place at the right time. He personally didn't do much on those interceptions. Uh, he had both balls just kind of bounce into his hands. But I think overall, he, he played pretty well out, outside of those two picks. Uh, so uh, I would definitely like to see him get, get a little uh, more time on the field. Yeah, and he had a good game against Washington before the bye week with Ogletree out. Yeah, he was on the field for almost every snap. And he didn't really have any breakdowns. He's not the rangiest guy in coverage, but I think part of the reason why he did have those two interceptions and being in the right place at the right time is he does have a good awareness of where the play is going to go so he can get himself to be in the right place. Yeah, he has much, much better instincts. And I think oh, oh, something people bring up about Ogletree is that he is really athletic. Uh, and that's true, but I, he's just, he's a step slow to react 
to these things so that athleticism goes out the window. Uh, if he's already a step slow, he's not athletic enough to recover. And that is is part of the problem. But we have someone like Goodson who I think reacts a little better. Uh, he can make up for not having that athleticism because he's he's a step ahead. Uh, so that's that's something I'd, I'd maybe like to see more of going into the second half of the season. Uh, Goodson only played 47% of the snaps against San Francisco. And that, I mean, that's part of the Giants aren't running out a lot of linebacker heavy sets they're they're spread out a little more and, and they went into into a big nickel a little more where, where they had three safeties on the field uh they had a bunch of plays where they played Landon Collins Curtis Riley and they had Michael Thomas out on the field who played 53 percent of the snaps and that's definitely his highest of the season Thomas played as much as any two or three games put together and I won't say he jumped off the field but he was at least involved in the defense. He had one pass defended, but uh, it, it looked like they they wanted to play a little more three safety looks, which with how the linebackers have played this year, I'm, I'm not totally Against. opposed to that. <laughs> it looked like in the second half, they kind of moved Collins to more of more of a linebacker type look. They kind of, they tried to get him out of one-on-one coverage, uh, which, which is good. And, and that might be, that might be the way to go. Yeah, especially at safety when you have Curtis Riley back there often as the single high safety, and we know which so is far less than that ideal has not worked out well. So maybe putting putting a, another safety back there while letting Collins still play closer to the line uh, that that could work out. Maybe we'll see that with some more Michael Thomas. Uh, maybe Sean Chandler will play that role a little bit more. Maybe I don't know. Maybe you see Grant Haley play there a little more. He played Haley played more slot corner. Uh, he had a real nice tackle for loss on on a swing pass. He played forty two percent of the snaps. He had a pass defended too. Uh, so I'd, I'd definitely like to see him again play play a little more. So uh, the coverage outside of of the linebackers held up pretty well. I think in San Francisco doesn't have the strongest wide receivers who were playing, but I, I think part of what allowed those linebackers to get exploited in coverage, there really was no pass rush here. San Francisco was kind of able to to do what they wanted. Nick Mullins just kind of hung out for the most part. Giants only got three quarterback hits, and and most of them came on blitzes. One was from Alec Ogletree on a blitz. Uh, One was Lorenzo Carter. One was Olivier Vernon. There was just not a consistent pass rush to rush whatever Mullins was going to be doing. That's another argument to give Lorenzo Carter more snaps and definitely more pass rush snaps i mean i am not going to be angry that he got that roughing the passer penalty for delivering a good tackle to mullins a split second after he released the ball yeah i think part of it is is he got there is probably how the tackle happened he kind of got his arm you know uh, mullins had his arm up carter kind of got his arm around his neck a little bit and he kind of almost like rock bottomed him to the ground so so i think how the hit happened was probably was probably worse but yeah if he's getting to the quarterback i, I don't think you 
you have an issue with that. And he's someone who has flashed, but the, the flashes haven't happened quite as much as you would maybe like. He's someone who's still learning the edge position. In uh, the rookie report I did over the bye week, uh, just assessing the plays of the rookies, he was still someone I said I'd like to wait and see uh, because he's he still needs things that need to develop. As there are some people who, who are very optimistic about him and if he does develop into learning to use his hands and not getting blocked out of plays as often as he does uh can be a good pass rusher but i think this is the first time i think since olivier vernon has been back that he was not the giants best pass rusher and i I think that was carter oh definitely i am optimistic about carter but that is kind of contingent on him continuing to develop and really learn how to put those physical tools of his to use. Yeah. He's got that real quick first step. He's got that ridiculous length of his, the agility that actually lets him drop into coverage and be competent. Yeah. He just needs to figure it out and just keep, keep developing. Now, whether or not that happens is another matter entirely. Right, and I think that's something... At this point, you have to keep him on the field and and see what he does. I think that's really the only way he's going to learn. So uh, he was probably the, the one bright spot on this defense. He, he flashed a little more uh, against San Francisco than I think he has in other games, even though he's, he's maybe been more productive. He had three tackles for loss in this game, which... I mean, anytime you have a defensive player in the backfield that often, that's that's pretty good. Even if the pass rush and there were there were no sacks, but getting in the backfield at that rate is is good. Oh, definitely. Yeah, even if his snaps have to come at the expense of Kareem Martin and Josh Morrow, fine, so be it. You know, he and Goodson are probably the Giants' two best linebackers right now, and. They, they need to figure out some way to keep both of them on the field. Yeah, and those those lineup changes are, are maybe something we'll see going on in the second half. I, I don't think it's going to be doing anyone any good to keep Alec Ogletree on the field for 100% of the snaps for the rest of the season. Uh, so maybe, maybe rotating him out uh, a little more will give Goodson some more time. It can maybe get Carter... Uh, in there a little more often too. I think that's that's probably the the best way to go about it because I, I think right now you want to try to develop these younger guys uh, instead of sticking with the veterans who just aren't playing well. I think that's definitely what this second half of the season has to be about. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, you don't rebuild by sticking with guys who you know what they are and what they are is mediocre at best. Part of rebuilding is is finding the young guys on your team who can develop and be answers, be viable pieces down the road. Right. Yeah, that's that's all we can have for for this second half of the season. Even even with the win here, the Giants are a very well out of the playoff picture, but you know, a, a win is nice and it's good to to see some development and, and some some improvement on on places on the field. I I'm not totally sure how many teams the Giants would have beaten with that exact play that they had. I think luckily it was against San Francisco. And so we'll, we'll see. They, they have a game against Tampa Bay, who has not been great. 
Especially on the defensive side of the ball. <laughs> Especially on the defensive side of the ball. Yeah. If the Giants aren't moving the ball there, I, I think that's another place we can we can say they, they'd have an issue. So hopefully they would be able to move the ball against Tampa Bay there. So uh, I think we can we can end it there. You can subscribe to this podcast wherever you get your podcast. And again, remember, uh, subscribing to this feed uh, gets you the the review show. It gets you uh, two Valentine's Views shows per week. And it gets you our new college football and NFL draft show we'll have at the end of the week. Thank you to everyone who listened to that show. That was actually uh, a fairly popular show. So uh, I'm glad you guys enjoyed that and uh, and. We're looking forward to getting more episodes of that up. Uh, please rate and review this podcast if you have not. Uh, we we will be back at the end of the week for that draft show. Ed will be here uh, on this feed with a Valentine's view shortly. So thank you guys for listening, and we'll talk to you again soon. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher. I want to tell you about another podcast you should check out. It's called Recode Decode. Every week I talk to tech and media's key players about how they're changing our world. I interview tech executives like Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg, political figures like Hillary Clinton, and media personalities like John Carreyou, who literally wrote the book on Theranos. Once again, the name of the show is Recode Decode, hosted by me, Kara Swisher. You can find it on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to the show. See you there.